because there's a lot of people that think they know what they're doing and they end up creating further training scars on people that are already scarred you know and it, and it just that's not you know training's a place to make mistakes but it's not a place to get scarred firehouse vigilance presents the weekly scrap a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency Coolie Moore, Firehouse Vigilance, Weekly Scrap, number 152. My guest this evening is Rick George. He is a 29-year veteran of the fire service with 24 years at Palm Beach County as a career firefighter. He has delivered many a hands-on courses locally, nationally, internationally, and focusing on performance and immersion training. Specifically, his Impact This designed around forcing impact-resistant openings, resiliency development, designed around developing the software, i.e. decision-making, critical thinking, situational awareness, etc. Rick has been working in the mental health field for nine years. He is currently involved with a program for uniformed personnel struggling with substance abuse, mental health issues. He is also the resiliency coordinator developing and designing didactics to improve managing the reactive mind man so there's a lot there is a lot we're going to be talking about he's the author use that word for the last 30 days bro didactics didactics did did i say it right is what i'm really hoping uh he is the author along with uh his partners in crime but he's the author of uh developing firefighter resiliency an amazing book he is passionate about the fire service and with that welcome my brother rick george to weekly scrap number 152 well, thank you for having me, my brother. It's been a while. Been yeah. since number 17, right? Yes, man. You are one of the, like, there's not many people I can say are one of the OGs, but you are one of the OGs of the weekly scrap. But this time I was scheduled to be here. I yes. wasn't a fill in. <laughs> and and, and I, I'll be honest with you. When I, when I actually said that to you that day, it was kind of a throwaway because I never thought in a million years you would say yes. What? No, originally, yeah, I never thought you would say, "Yeah, I'll do it." I was like, "Seriously?" So, uh, that's just yeah, part of the, the backstory. It's, it's amazing. An oppor- it's an opportunity to reach out and help some folks. I'm in. I you love know. it. Is there anything I missed in the intro that you want to add? I always nah. like to offer. Nah, that's all. That's all, all right. fluff. You know? Audience, get your questions ready, primed uh, for. Uh, we're gonna get. It's gonna be a good discussion. So get them ready. It should get interesting. Kyle Romagus is here. He is uh, he's logged in, ready to grab your questions and throw them up here. Uh, so get them ready. This episode, here we go. This is the new thing for me, so I'm doing it. This episode is brought to you by Keyhose, the hose experts, Elkhart Brass, a safe fleet brand, affordable drill towers, home of the affordable drill tower and the affordable standpipe prop. Affordable drill towers is a firefighter owned and operated. The only thing you can't do in an affordable drill tower is live fire. Like, you can repel, stretch hose lines, go through the stairs, go through the floor, do window bailouts, cut holes in the roof props, use the apartment balconies, pump to your FDIC, use the sprinkler system, man. Uh, it's an amazing, amazing thing. So call Steve, 844-55-TOWER, or drop him an email, info at affordabledrilltowers.com. And then with that, we also have Citizens First Fire Training. My man, Chris Kessinger. It is a firefighter, veteran-owned company committed to giving back to the fire service, authorized sales, service, and training partners of Amicus Rescue Systems. Citizens First provides training, tools, and equipment throughout the country with the proceeds supporting injured and fallen firefighters, their families, and fools chapters nationally. So aggressive firemanship saves lives, man. Think about Citizens First fire training. So 
There's all of that housekeeping out of the way. I really do appreciate the sponsors who are going to let me upgrade and things like that. So with all that being said and done, it's time to dive right into this scrap. Rick George, are you ready, my brother? Ding, ding. (laughs) The techniques to develop better performance and mental health are your area of focus. That is correct. So, um, okay. So the backstory is, um, okay. I, uh, I never did this stuff as a way I'm thinking, Oh, this would be a cool class. You know, um, I got broke, I got good and broke. And, um, I was, uh, I, I don't know, 16 years on the job, 15 years on the job. And, um, bro, I was, uh, I was contemplating, put a bullet in my head. And, uh, I, 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 so to preface all that, I didn't, I didn't do any drugs or drink cause I've been sober. God willing this November 35 years. Nice. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you very much. It took me a little while to figure out every time I, I drank, I, I, you know, I had an allergic reaction. I break out in handcuffs, you know, and, <laughs> and, um, I'm, I'm an ugly drunk. It ain't pretty. And, and back in the day I could do some damage. Now I just fall down, you know, but, um, I, I, uh, it was a divorce is what precipitated all of this stuff. And, um, that led me to seeking other men. Um, they were actually military psychologists that happened in a, a, a seminar with Pauly Capo. He gave me a book to read. It's called, uh, on combat by Grossman. Grossman. And, yes. um, and he was speaking about stuff that I was experiencing and it, it gave me hope when he talked about this breathing technique. So I didn't think about any of that. I mean, I've always fought, I've wrestled, uh, karate, jujitsu, Muay Thai, boxing, I've done judo. I mean, it was always, my life was always about uh, learning how to protect myself because I was scared. It was was based out of fear. Okay. okay? It it had nothing to do with challenge. How long? This is important. No, no. How long did it take you to realize that? Uh, Geez, bro. I was... 30 some years old before I finally got a hold of that. Okay. I was about 31, 32 years old. And then, and then to implement not allowing the fear to run me and to operate from a challenge perspective or an opportunity perspective, man, that just took, that took years the next because 20. my default was so great. My default was, you know, actually my default was do the damage before it gets done to you. Mm. And um, it, it really is. It has to do with me being bullied as a kid and all this other stuff and insecurities and all this other crap that I discovered through therapy. Because, you know, when you go to when you go to jail and in front of judges as often as I do, clearly there is something wrong with you, you know, and you need to get some help. And so I'm, I'm being told that by a judge who told me you come back before me, bring a toothbrush, son, because you can be gone for a long time. Right. And uh, my attorney who loved my money, but told me, you need some help, bro. And, uh, you know, my dad and mom have always, have always been there for me, but, um, the, the, the divorce was a vehicle. And so all of this stuff that, that I had carried into the fire service plays. Okay. So now we got a lack of sleep. It's a hard, dirty job, bro. Yes, it is. It is. A, it is a grind, bro. And, and you're doing, you're doing, you're doing crazy shit, man. You're, 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 cutting a roof or walking on a roof or or a floor above a fire without the protection of a hose you're searching you know in through a window 
into the room right next to the fire room searching for victims and then bouncing and going from there. You know, you're, you're moving hose into harm's way, you know, and, and so um, there's a mindset that comes with that. And the, the, the crazy part is it starts to get normalized. It's yep. just part of the job. You know, it's no longer scary like it was in the beginning. It was guys that tell you, yeah, that was a thrill. Well, that thrill means that there's fear involved. And fear's not a bad thing. It'll keep your ass alive, you know. And so, but just fear is not a good master. And that's what it was for me. So anyways, I uh, this divorce had to do with my foundation. My foundation was my family. And once my foundation got rocked, I, I fell apart, bro. Right. I uh, I was going through emotional mood swings and uh, I couldn't sleep. Uh, I got, got a point where I couldn't keep a mask on my face. And that's why I reached out to these professionals. Um, they helped me. One led to another, led to another, led to another, led to another. And that, that for me, because I'm a smart dude, but I ain't that smart. That's God's grace. He's just right. opening doors for me. I'm walking through them. Let me... Um, I want to dig in. I, I don't want to interrupt. I don't want to break your phone. No, no, go for I want it, to dig I want to know how well, how well did you cover through like through the divorce and on the job? How well did you mask and keep it according to you, at least under wraps where no one else knew what was going on? Um, uh, the anxiety part uh, about the job, I did a good, I did pretty good at masking it. Um, <sighs> And, and the rest of it was just raw emotion. Right. You know, the divorce, you know, guys trying to convince me to pray for my wife. And I'm like praying that, you know, the earth would open up and swallow Swallow. her, that pianos would fall on her and bolt the lightning would, you know, rain on her. And, and, uh, but she wasn't, she wasn't the problem. You know, um, I was the problem. I created that whole mindset and everything. And I put all my eggs in a wrong basket and I thought I was good. And, um, I mean, I'm going to church, I'm sober, I ain't doing drugs, I ain't hurting people, I'm doing an honest living, I'm helping people, you know, I sponsor men, I do all kinds of stuff, and this still reached out and grabbed me, like, with a vengeance, I ain't never had anything grab me like this before. So, that that's what precipitated that first question about, you know, how do you get into these techniques and the performance of mental health? They're, they're the same things because while I was falling apart mentally, I was using it to try to get back on the job and keep a mask on my face and be able to perform. So one, they, they, they're, they're not, they're not exclusive of the other doing, doing these techniques like breathing and meditation and, and uh, mental rehearsals, um, different perspective, um, reframing, um, learning about emotions and how to manage them and, and actually putting things that I'm feeling emotionally into words. I just didn't do that. Right. I let these do that. You know, none of us, none of, yeah, none of, yeah, that's our you know, specialty it, is. Yeah. Yeah. Or I would just throw a fucking temper tantrum like a child, you know? And, 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 and that's what I did when, when I was, when I had the mask thing, um, we were in a drill in our tower and it wasn't anything difficult, bro. It was real straightforward. And I, I was losing it. And finally, I ripped my mask off and I started screaming and yelling, this is bullshit, this drill, this and that, blah, 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 blah. And guys were shocked. They're looking at me and they're like, they're like, Jesus, what's wrong with that guy? And they're like, I don't know. Just don't make eye contact with him. He'll calm down eventually, you know. That was my mask. 
Right. You know, that, that was my mask. And, um, and it was my mask and a lot of stuff. If I couldn't run, then I just became demonstrative, you know, and it wasn't, uh, wasn't a good solution. So I, I had to relearn all these living skills and, and survival skills. And, uh, it started with breathing and uh, I didn't realize how key breathing is to everything. Um, the breath and how you breathe, um, it's everything. You know, uh, I mean, we, I could get into nasal breathing and explain why you breathe through your nose. I fought a lot of, I did a lot of sports. I surf, I dive, I do all kinds of stuff, right? And so whenever I was training for an event, guys would always tell me, breathe through your nose, breathe through your nose. I'm like, why? Right. You know, for a long time, I blocked punches with this thing. I can't breathe through it, you know? <laughs> and so they're, they're, they're like, well, it's better for you. And nobody could explain to me why. Well, it increases interthoracic pressure. What that does is it activates the diaphragm. When the diaphragm pulls down on inspiration, it helps opens the lungs. Um, there's, I'm, there's sitting here, I'm sitting of, here practicing while you're speaking. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just science, you know, or as I like to say in my classes, it's science, bitch. So right on. Um, they, uh, one thing led to the other, and, and uh, you know, I start learning more about this stuff, and it's, it's not just the – cleansing of the air and the cooling of the air, but it also creates that interthoracic pressure. And in order to activate the, the diaphragm, you have to breathe through your nose, completely activate it. And the reason for that is because at the base of the lungs are the parasympathetic receptors. Well, that's what I want to get to when I'm starting to get a little sideways, right? If I'm starting to get anxious and sideways and whatnot, I want to calm down because what I'm doing is I'm edging over into the sympathetic. I want to go to the parasympathetic. Because that's where rational thinking is. You're not going to have rational thinking in, in the sympathetic nervous system. That is fight, flight, you know, right, and, right. and some other things. But So, uh, like, I want to, uh, like, you know, you, you always, you want to try and get into the prefrontal cortex, you know, and keep your, you, you using speech and not falling into, into uh, you know, your animal brain or, you know, bird brain or reptile brain, whatever you want to say. Uh, right. It's kind of the same thing when you start activating the nasal, it, it pushes down into that. And, and kind of forces you there? Or is it like, speak to me like I'm a truckie. Okay. If you're assigned to the can, right? You got the water can. Right you on. Make your way up the ladder. Boom, I'm up there. I'm going to knock this fire because I can. I put a lot of fire. Yes. Okay. Now, if you hold it open the whole way, you, you're just going to blow. You're, you're, you're going to blow your load quick. But if you use it intermittently and properly, that's the way it was designed, designed. the technique, okay. right? So the human body is designed to breathe through your mouth. And when you're under threat, it's short, shallow respirations because that's a sympathetic nervous system. Whether it's perceived or real, that's what happens. So in order to regain control of everything, because in sympathetic, it's fight or flight. There ain't much rational thought in that, okay? Um, and so you want the ration. That comes back in the parasympathetic side. And that happens with deep breathing. So the can, if you open it up all the way, you're, you're, you're wasting it. If you use it properly, you can put a whole bunch of fire down, right? Well, it's the same way with respirations. Love it. Tidal volume is different. So in the sympathetic, the tidal volume in the lungs is shallow and rapid. That's why you breathe through your mouth. But when you want to regain control of things, you increase your tidal volume to be able to access those parasympathetic receptors at the base of the lungs, releases the hormones that a lot unlocks and allows the brain to think properly. That's it in trucking terms. No, I love breathe, it, brother. I, breathe I don't deep think you and relax. Remember right, moms a- used to say, remember moms used to say, take a deep breath, count to 10 before you say something? Yes. 
before you say something stupid, yeah. little Ricky, count to 10, you know, and I'd end up counting to like 50 or something. And, and it, but she knew before neuroscience knew. Go ahead. A lot of wisdom from moms. Now, yeah. I've already missed a lot of, I want to try and catch up with some comments, but I've already missed a ton of them. Uh, every episode, yeah. So, yeah, there we go. Smoothboard Cartel, that podcast, and Rick providing his info. One of our uh, saved one of our own, one of the most powerful podcasts for sure. I think they're talking about your original one. Uh, actually saved one of their own. The message awesome. there. Sleep is probably, this comes from Rob Fisher. He said, sleep is probably one of the most important things we can do for our physical and mental health. Is shift work killing us? If so, what needs to be done in our profession? I'm going to come, that, that, that's a question that Kyle has pulled out. So I'll bring, I'll come back to that. Again, I'm trying to catch up. Robbie's a smart dude, man. He'll no, come without, up with some good questions. Without a doubt. One of my favorite people. You. Science, bitch. That came from San- Daniel Sanchez. He was quoting. <laughs> Faith Family Fire Service from Joey Hayes. I love you, Joey. Yeah, Awesomeness. Joey. There's a lot. Yo, Rick, come from Chris Kana. Uh, Todd Edwards said, I genuinely believe we need more fire service leaders that are honest and straightforward like Rick. Every new officer should have to spend a few days with this man. I cannot, and there's a lot of reactions with that, 100%. All right, that kind of catches us up. I, I, Everybody, I just want to tell you in the audience, I appreciate the comments. Sometimes they scroll back so fast, and then they're gone. Like I, I can see them later. I just can't see them now. So I caught the ones I could. Okay, Rick, back to you. I do want to hit uh, right to Rob Fisher's question, if you're good with that, and then we'll keep continuing. Yes, repeat it, because I'm said, old and forgetful. Sleep is probably one of the most important things we can do for our physical and mental health. Is shift work killing us? If so, what needs to be done in our profession to correct this? So, I agree. Sleep is the most one of the most important aspects of it. I'll give you a quick, not anecdotal, but it's actually a true story. Um do you know James Gearing? Oh, yeah. Behind, Behind the Shield. shield. Absolutely. So he interviewed a doctor, uh, I think it's Adam Paisley, or Paisley. I can't remember which one. He used to be a, uh, he was a Navy SEAL. He was with the teams. So he had to medical out, and he was really disappointed. So he ended up getting involved in, in medicine somehow, and people were encouraging him to be a doctor. And he thought, you know what? If I could become a doctor, I might have the opportunity to go back and be the first SEAL to be attached to a team as a team doctor. And that's exactly what he did. He completed well, the guys were all the guys were all asking for uh, what's that sleep aid? Is it Ativan? Uh, I, it's a sleep aid. I can't remember sure. the damn name. Anyways, um, and he noticed all these guys were missing in sleep. And so he thought, let me let me run some panels and find out what's going on. And so through his critical thinking, he comes up with these war fighters and their testosterone levels are in the dump. They're like 200, 300. These are, these are teens, 20s, and so they should be up in the 900s. Right. You know? And, and uh, he made the connection. Now, I remember the, my favorite quote was, he says, now, I could have been justified you know, giving them testosterone. He says, but they weren't old enough, and I could see the headlines in the media, uh, military using steroids to create you know, war fighters, super so soldiers, started, right? Yeah. <laughs> he started prescribing sleep and their testosterone levels went up 500%. Oh, wow. 
So Robbie is absolutely right. Sleep, that is one aspect that sleep is very vital. The other is in order to, to for the body and the brain to regenerate, you need REM sleep, which is deep sleep. And there's two those two cycles through there. It goes through different cycles, light sleep back to deep sleep, and deep sleep has two levels. Uh, rapid eye movement, non-rapid eye movement. In rapid eye movement, the brain regenerates itself. In non-rapid eye movement, the body regenerates itself. At the cellular level, it actually regenerates itself. Um, so that's another reason why sleep is so important. Um, and then his other part of the question was, is shift work killing us? It is. It is. It's a. It's an uncarcinogen. Um, you know, it, it is a, it's a, a type A, class A, whatever carcinogen back when the World Health Organization had some credibility in my eyes, they actually came out with this study and said that, yeah, sleep work is, or shift work is, uh, is carcinogenic. That means it creates cancer right. in the bodies, okay? And other than heart attack being the number one killer and cancer coming up a close second, um, lack of sleep, poor sleep habits, and stress increases cortisol levels. Cortisol levels are directly related to systemic swelling that means your organs swell systemic swelling is directly tied to heart attack and so that's one and then all the things that we're exposed to and everything else and then not being able to regenerate the body lowers your immune system there's your cancer wow now i want to personally i want to know because i mean even in my own uh uh personal circles uh alcohol how much does it play into people trying to get sleep with alcohol or or even a coping mechanism? Uh, what's your thoughts on alcohol? Stephanie just sent me a, a text. She said, nice to see you speaking. Catching you on the podcast. How can she get a hat like that? That's funny you would ask me that, Stephanie, because I'm wondering why in the hell Kyle ain't sent me some of that blame. Yeah, Kyle. Kyle. I, I, got, I, got, his, I got the mug. I got, I'm just busting his chops. I do like that lid, though. That is nice. Smoothbore cartel. Um, so I'm, I'm sorry, repeat the question. Just alcohol, alcohol. How much does it play into our sleep patterns? How much does it play into our coping mechanism? Um, so let me preface this by saying, um, I don't think alcohol is bad. I've been sober 35 years, but when I drink alcohol, I'm bad. Okay. So I ain't got no beef with alcohol. A lot of friends of mine, a lot of my family does, they drink and stuff. And I, you know, there are a lot of people that can drink respectably, I'm just not one of them people, you know, and if you ever see me drinking, just go the other fucking way. Um, so the, the, I think that alcohol, it's a depressant and it dehydrates you. So those two things right there work against you, especially people like us, you know, that, you know, we, we get certain gifts in the fire service. You feel good about yourself, you impact people's lives right away, um, you know, and, 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 and it's a very honorable profession. But you get things like uh, sleeping disorders and stuff that are just gifts that you really don't want. So when you combine the two people, I need a drink to relax and unwind. You're not creating the brain waves that are necessary for the body and the brain to regenerate itself. It's making it worse because you're actually dehydrating the body as well. So it's, uh, it's not a good thing. And I, I'm not talking about, you know, a moderate consumption or anything. I'm just talking about like, you know, man, I don't know about y'all, but when I drank, I drank, I drank, and it was there was a trifecta. I was never mind. I'm just going to leave it at that. Right. So it wasn't, you know. So I, I don't, you know. I mean, you think you got a problem with alcohol? You know, 
I, that's my business. I can help you with that. If you don't, ain't none of my fucking business. Y'all do what you do, you know, but it, it is not the same sleeping yourself to drinking or drinking yourself to sleeping is not the same as falling asleep naturally and learning how to overcome these things to do that. Right. That, okay. that's where meditation comes in. That's where that comes in because that, that disciplines your brain for attention and focus whatever you're paying attention to and whatever you're focused on when you're going to sleep, if you can't go to sleep, you've been doing it for so long, you've created a default that's actually maladaptive and you need to create a new one to overcome it. Wow. We'll talk more about that later. But. I love it. Uh, I can't see the name. David McDaniel wants to know, what's your thoughts on CBD oil to assist in sleep? Have you done, have you, have you messed with CBD at all or what's your thoughts on it? I, uh, I had a motorcycle accident, my right shoulder. I had to have surgery on it. But before I had the surgery, I tried everything. I had tried CDB, CBD oil, whatever it is. And I mean, there's kinds that come with the roll on. A buddy of mine owns one of them companies and he's got the roll on. Then there's the oil drops. I tried hemp oil drops. Uh, it did not work for me. I had to have surgery. But I do know men and women that have done it and it's worked for them. So that's what I think about it. Right on. Right on. Uh, and we'll get back to, I believe that all, Brian Arnold said, I believe that all firefighters should have an assigned counselor from day one out of recruit school, whether they ever utilize them or not. What are your thoughts? Is this the local Brian Arnold? This is OKC Brian Arnold. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. How you doing, Brian? Yeah. Um, I, 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 I understand the wisdom in that. Um, but there's a, but to that, it has to be somebody that has walked in our shoes understands our culture and they're not going to be freaking crying when i start talking to them about the heavy stuff you know what i'm saying i need somebody that i can trust and the problem with that is uh, so in palm beach county we have an eap and you can go to it voluntarily it's no big deal and unless unless the department mandates you to go they, they they're not privy to any of the data none of the info it's protected by hipaa but a lot of these departments <coughs> excuse me have EAP and it runs through HR and HR gets everything. And so your career is on the line right away. Right. And then you go to EAP in these departments. So there are some things he is absolutely right. I won't debate that, but there are some things that need to be, you know, they got to understand our culture and, and it's better if they've walked in our shoes because they can recognize that. Right. So if I'm talking to you or like Brian, Brian's talking to, you know, anybody, but his son, you know, it, it, because it doesn't work with family. Somebody else has got to talk to family. And so, it, it, and he's talking to somebody and they know what he's done. They know he was at right. the bombing. They right. know that he's been through the shit, you know? And so they're going to listen to him because they know this guy's not going to judge him. If he's telling them, yeah, man, I get it. I've been through that. I know exactly what you're talking about. Right. This is what I do. What do you do? You know, and, then, and we can have an honest conversation. I think he's right. Very authentic. Uh, yeah, just the authenticity. The the uh, yeah. Uh, Kyle Romagus has a question coming to you. He said, "Rick, my brother, can you educate the masses on why skip breathing is counterproductive and not the best way to conserve your air supply? Also, why do you think it is still being taught?" Okay, so honestly, it was taught to us when I was uh, a very, very young fireman going through the fire academy for fire certification. I never understood it. The guy's telling me, take a breath. Instead of exhaling, take another breath. And I was like, yeah, I can't 
do that. I don't know how to do that, bro. That's not helping me, you know? And, and um, so I just pretended and just went along because what do I know? You know, right. I'm like, maybe I'm just doing it wrong. I don't want, you know, another bullseye on my back. Sure. I'm already the oldest guy in the fire academy, you know, at 29, 30 years old. And like, I actually had hair. I had long hair and, and I already, these guys are already after me, you know, I can out pull up and out push up people. And I just, anyways, I, I never, never really got a handle on it. Oh, look who's hiding. Say hi, Joe. How we doing? That's my wife, Joanne. Nice to meet you, Joanne. When she finds out that this is going around the country, she's going to be shocked. She hey, tell Joanne, thanks for sharing you this evening. Oh, hey, baby. Corley said thanks for sharing me this evening with him. He said thank you for sharing me with him this oh, evening. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, you just got me brownie points. Big, 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 big. That's a specialty. All right. So, sorry. So, um, so skip breathing. Uh, uh, my limited understanding of it is, is that you breathe in and instead of exhaling, you breathe in again, or as you breathe in, you exhale instead of breathing in, you exhale. I, I, it's one of those things never worked for me. Never did master it. Never could find anybody to read it, really teach it to me. Um, and my research has shown that by starving uh, the body for air, even though you think you're working subconsciously, you're breathing harder and you're breathing more rapidly. So you're actually bringing in more breath. And that is from, uh, I think it's Dr. Riley who did the Riley rescue breathing technique, the hum technique. Um, I think he's the one and that's, that's a freaking doctor, bro. I'm a high school graduate. And I ain't going to argue with this guy. I just read research papers. Right. And the research shows that the breathing that we teach now is extremely effective. I, I don't see any research like that on skip breathing. I, I don't. So I like it. it doesn't work for me. And I know that it, not anecdotally, but the research, the information out there is you actually end up breathing in faster, which in turn using more of your air, right? Because every fire that we go into is a timed event. How long can you make that bottle last? That's how long you're going to be in a fire. It's a timed event. So, you know, Conserving it and using it properly is important. I've got an important question coming from Rob Fisher. He said, "Yes, what what brand of cigar is Rick enjoying this evening?" This is a Perdomo, and it's a uh, Connecticut, and it is uh, it's a special, but it is um, it's a fat ring. It's nice. I was saving it just for tonight because I knew there would be some uh, connoisseurs on the show. You know. But it is a Perdomo, and it's very mild. I like it. Smooth, creamy. I dig it. My Love brothers it. in Texas are digging it, too. Nice. Uh, Hector Corona said, my brother, we are taught to watch our brothers and sisters for signs of severe, severe depression slash suicidal tendencies. But how do we watch for a person that was acting completely normal, hanging out with his brothers, having fun, and in the morning we hear he killed himself? What did we miss? And it's a tough, heavy question. Uh, I don't know where you can go with that, but go with it. So, um, you know, I, early on, I, I really thought that suicide was preventable and avoidable, but, uh, I know men that, uh, have taken their own lives and nobody was going to stop them. Nobody was going to stop them. Um, I think that uh, 
you know, Hector, when, when men like us, when we get it in our mind, we're going to do something, we're going to do it. If we convince ourselves that our families are better off and everybody else is and all this other stuff, or maybe just the pain is just the sadness, maybe the grief, you know, depression is, is, is a killer, bro. You know? And, um, it, you know, you start, you start wondering, you know, maybe, maybe it's better off if I wasn't here. I just wanted to stop. I mean, I have met men. I, I work at a, a, a treatment facility that has a program in there for uniform personnel. So we get firemen and cops from all over the country and we get military guys. And, uh, we got like a f- main vein between New York and, and Florida with, uh, damn, what is the name of that camp? A military camp up in New York anyways. And we get corrections officers and, and stuff like that. And, and, um, you know, some of these guys, man, they're so broken. It's, uh, you know, I don't know if anybody's heard about microdosing and what they're doing with, uh, with psilocybin and with MDMA and LSD and stuff like that, microdoses. And it seems to be a reset. It's actually, I got three brothers that I know very, very well that went through this and I see the changes. And then when this man is sitting at my house, <laughs> he's got tears in his eyes, bro. And he's telling me, I haven't felt this good since I was in my 20s, bro. And this guy's been thinking about killing himself. He's been thinking about killing himself for so long that if I woke up the next morning and saw that he'd killed himself, um, I'd have been, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. I knew it. Uh, and there's nothing you could do. But he's he's different. He's different. And that's with the psilocybin. And so that may be the thing that breaks it. Um, there's research now out of uh, out of Great Britain. And um, I can't remember which uh, it's actually it's an umbrella research, which is um, umbrella research takes all this other gathered research and they do the meta-analysis on it. And they, they, they look at how these medications are working and these SSRIs, they're not working for depression. There's absolutely no turnaround. So now they're thinking it has nothing to do with serotonin. So here we are in 2022 and the things that we've been doing for all these years is just it's not working. You know, um, or or not nearly as effective as they lead you to believe. Just remember, man, big farmers, that's a fifteen billion dollar a year industry. Right. They're gonna make their money one way or another. I mean, we're just we're these little tiny cogs in a big ass freaking machine, you know. But that's the research. That's not my opinion. So I man, Hector, but those are tough. Those are always tough. My uh, my 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 son. He's twenty two. He's on the job. Uh, he's at OKC Fire, and uh, he's almost through his rookie year. But uh, not the point. Uh, he sent me an article the other day, and because me and him are constantly, I, I'm an optimist. He's a pessimist, and so we always have these discussions. You know what I'm saying? And but he sent me a article the other day that actually talked about uh, depression. And I don't know the veracity of the article. I wish I'd have thought about it because it just came up in my brain right now. It wasn't something I was going to talk about uh, or I'd have linked the article. But it talked about uh, some of these inhibitors that they use, uh, yeah. you know, and stuff yeah, like SSRIs that. SSRIs for, for serotonin yes. uptake. Yeah. yeah. And and how that you – know, the research is coming out saying it's, it's more – uh, depression is more a sign of intelligence, like a byproduct of intelligence than it is uh, the, the, the serotonin lack of production, et cetera. Yes, that's uh, correct. Okay. Okay. So that's, I don't know you... that's the same. It, that sounds in the same vein of the research paper I was reading. Okay. Um, they're saying that it can be helped more readily with talk therapy than it is with these, these medications that they're giving them because it's a thinking thing, you know? Um, now 
clinic. I'm sure there are those that are clinically depressed and there are things that they're taking that is working for them. Uh, uh, listen, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that's what the umbrella research, you know, right. showed the meta-analysis did. Um, you ever you ever wonder why some people think the glass is half empty and some are half full? I've never contemplated why. I know it exists, but I've never contemplated why. Uh, is it just nurture versus when, nature? When, when you it... walk in, when when you ever when you walk into a room or a restaurant, do you scan the room real quick and then look at a strategic place that you can sit and stuff, or you know, or Absolutely. where? how strategic where they're sitting you is and you know things like that how close is the exit so, is my back to a wall yes. yeah 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 so human beings the sympathetic nervous system here's here's where we go sideways you were talking about the prefrontal cortex we become so hyper vigilant we start focusing on all these things because our job is about controlling the things that we can control right yes. we take chaos and we make order right we bring the fucking rain bro you know, we, we save lives, you know, and so we get caught up in this whole hypervigilant mindset and it's fed by the sympathetic nervous system. Now, the sympathetic nervous system is designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is survival, survival, right? And through the ages, it was always about making sure wild animals or the bad people didn't get you. And it was about safety and protection. There go, you know, Maslow's hierarchy. That's yes. the base, the foundation of Maslow's. That's what it is. And so this is built into us. So we have a tendency of looking at things negatively and not necessarily, uh, yeah, let's call it negatively, like half full. Ah, it's only half full as opposed to saying, oh, shit, that thing's half full. Yeah, man, I'm all about it, you know, or, or you know, it's half empty, you know, um, instead of, well, how do we fill it? So when you get to that point of how do we fill it, that's when you've changed your mindset and going from that fear concept that I was talking about earlier into the challenge concept, because the challenge concept allows you to recognize that the brain is designed for survival through the amygdala and the sympathetic nervous system. Okay. What's the threat here? Is there a threat? If there's no threat, then I have an opportunity to grow. Then that's why you call it a challenge or an opportunity. Cause when I have the opportunities to challenge something and to grow, you take advantage of it. That shit ain't coming on its own. It so, ain't coming. It ain't no YouTube video one and done. That is repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. Just like if you're dominant right hand chopping, you got to learn with your left hand. You have to be ambidextrous in the fire service. And this needs more attention than the one that you're already strong at. And, and so it really comes down to deliberate intentionality in your yes. approach? Yes, I love oh. that. I'm going to find a way to incorporate that in my talk tomorrow deliberate intentionality i love it dude i love this uh <laughs> pulling up notes I, I i i love the questions coming but i also want to get to the notes uh hugh long wants to know is the microdosing going back to the the uh the, i'm gonna psychocybin uh i'll say psilocybin. psilocybin thank you is the microdosing being practiced as a treatment for these issues is it is it yes okay yes it's being it's being practiced for depression uh, traumatic brain injury, PTSD, uh, some anxiety disorders, um, you know, things like that. And uh, John Hopkins, I think out of New York, John Hopkins is one of was another hospital in Ohio, and they're asking for volunteers to come. So this is this is going to be mainstream. No, it, no, they're collecting you know when the it's going to be mainstream when big pharma can figure out how to make money. Off money. It, it'll become mainstream. Right on. Uh, BJ Breacher said Rick mentioned that the skip breathing isn't the breathing they are teaching today. So is Rick referring to box breathing technique or something else? 
no, something else. So box breathing. Um, my partner, Dave Gillespie, um, he he got very close with a guy named uh, Commander Eric Potterat, who was uh, he was the dedicated psychologist for the United States Navy SEALs BUDS program to increase their passing rate without decreasing their standard. There's a freaking novel idea. Yeah. So Dave's talking with him and he 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 got he knew about box breathing before, but he understands how Potterat incorporates box breathing, which is completely different. It's a it's a count. So you inhale for a count, you hold for a count, you exhale for a count, you hold for a count, you envision a box. I I teach triangle, which is inhale and then hold and then hum and then exhale. And so the breathing, those are the two main breathing techniques we do. And then there's another one that a buddy of ours um, teaches. Um, Actually, the thin Viking, Eric Brennan with uh, yoga for first responders uh, teaches he, when we do classes, immersion classes, he does the yoga and he teaches you breathing on how to get through the body positionings and stuff, which is, listen, if you think yoga is weak, I got news for you, bro. You're doing it when you got that freaking belt around your waist, the shoulder straps are hunched down. You got a pack on your back. Your gear is soaking wet, weighs another freaking 10 pounds heavier and you're crawling through a hoarder house. Guess what? You're doing yoga, bro. You got to learn how to breathe through things, right? You have to learn how to breathe through body positioning and moving deliberately with the breath. So Eric teaches that. Then we got another guy, Eddie Del Campo, who does, we call it Salvaje breathing. Salvaje is just a, it's a Cuban slang for animal. Savage is what it means. And so he's a, he's a dive master, dive instructor, and he owns his own dive company. He was a Blackwater guy for our department when he was on the job. And um, it's kind of like a breathing up thing that they do. So we, we teach a variety of, right. of, of breath techniques, and we just ask the guys to grab one of them and master it. You I really know, feel like care. really feel like I could latch on to savage breathing. I like that. Oh, it's, dude, he's What's the awesome Cuban word? Too. Salvaje. Salvaje. Okay. <laughs> There he is. Uh, yeah, someone just pre- – okay. Uh, I want to get – okay, we're, we're caught up on the questions of the audience, so I want to get back on track. Uh, we talked about um, areas of focus, but we, for performance, we can utilize uh, – and then mental health. So there's two, two basic uh, techniques to develop better performance and mental health. Sure. Uh, performance size and mental health size. Uh, you want to talk on that. You want to expand on that. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break it down like Go. this. Good. In the fire service, we have our community, right? And we have to perform within these parameters. And it involves certain things, right? Um, you have to be prepared. So you have to be physically and mentally prepared to be able and emotionally prepared, right? So when we run a call and we go, um, everybody's heart rate goes up. Listen, it might be anticipation. It might be anxiety. Paint it whatever name you want to paint it but your heart rate goes up, right? And it's not necessarily fear. It could be like, awesome, we're going to a fire. I get to do the shit I have been training my whole life for because we just don't get the fires we used to, right? So you have to operate in this world where you're seeing, smelling, touching, and hearing shit that is, is, will suck the soul right out of you. And you... You do it so often that it becomes normalized. And what do we do? We push our emotions off to the side because if they get in the way, we can't do our job. Right. We focus. I can't do my job if I'm thinking about these kids with the same name as my kids and the same age and it's a race car and all this other crap. That actually happened to me. 
but I couldn't think I couldn't even process that shit till I got home. And then it hit me in the head like a sledgehammer, you know, but so here we are. That's that's our culture, right? That's our life. And this is normal. All of us are experiencing the same things. Now we leave and we go home, whole different culture. And what we've gotten good at, because we get to practice it so many times during a shift, we go home, there's no structure, there's no SOGs, no rules and regulations, no SOPs, no captain freaking telling you, well, I mean, your spouse, you know, but we ain't listening to them, right? Because we know better, Yeah, you know? You come home, mama's taking care of the kids and you're out, you know, you just pulled three kids out of a building or something or saved a kitty or some shit, you know, and you're coming home. You want to tell her, oh, really, you think your job is so hard, but that ain't going to fly. Right. But we don't know how to manage being in this relationship, accessing our emotions that we've been so good at stuffing and putting off to the side because we got shit to do, bro, you know. And, and, and now it, it turns into this bravado thing at, home, at first, and then eventually it starts gnawing away and eating at your brain. It and, and it's not at your body. It's not accident. I mean, we shut down so that we can function, and that's, yeah. that's, that's how we function. That's right. And, and then, we, then we go back, in, and you transition back, or, or don't transition back into just normalcy, where it's like, I don't give a shit that the, that the light is out in the kitchen, or insert that the... The garbage disposal is making a funny noise because yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't matter. There's no reason to shut down the. T- so, yeah, without a doubt. Or 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 your your kid or your spouse or somebody they cut themselves and they're going to need some stitches and they're freaking out because they got this little boo boo here that's going to need you know three or four stitches and you just had a guy in a motorcycle accident whose arm got ripped off. Right. So you, you're you were carrying it. Yeah, you're carrying it. It makes you look like makes you look like you don't give a shit and that right. you're cold and that you're emotionless. And they are true on one of those you're emotionless. Right. It's not that you're cold, it's just you go into work mode. You know, it's it's the triage of things, you know. And, okay, it's not that bad. We can fix that. Let's wrap that thing up. We'll go get some stitches. Let me go get a fishing hook and fishing line out of the garage. I'll be right back. We'll fix that right there in the dining room, you know. <laughs> And what's the fallout for the family? That's so, the- um, so yeah. So to follow up on that, what what happens is that um, we get very, very good in one culture at work because we have all these guidelines. But who's prepared you for getting married, being a spouse, right, a husband or a wife? Um, who's prepared you for having children? What classes have you taken? What certifications have you <laughs> taken that were pass and fail that were state certified? You know, what, what is that? Where, where do you, where do you get that training from? You get it from growing up with your family, but our, my parents' generation was about work ethic and you did shit because, because that's yeah, why they said why? so. Yeah. Because 100%. I said so. Yeah. Because I'm bigger than you and yes. I'm going to whoop the brown off your butt if you don't, you know, so. And I did it, you know, and so that was, these are some of the things that eat us up. And that's why I I really think that these are some of the issues that play into our divorce rate, which is, did you know that over the last 10 years, for the first time in the history of this country, we have more single parents than we do married parents. If that doesn't fucking scare you, it should, because boys need men and girls need women. And they need both of their parents to grow up balanced and learn about stuff that we should be teaching them, not the school system, not the juvenile system, not the court system. We should be teaching them that. But where are we getting that? 
where do you get that? You know, man, no, I, I not, mean, I, I had not heard that stat. That's that's I, I believe it because of uh, just anecdotally, it feels correct. You know, just looking at at society, I believe it. But I had not, and, heard and that's that. that's about ten not, years old. I had not heard that stat, but no, it makes complete sense. I know one of the biggest indicators, and I, I don't know where I heard the stat from, but I, I, I also believe it's true, even if I can't prove it, you know, uh, verify it, is <laughs> that, right. you know, having having a mother and a father in the home is one of the most important things for success. You Absolutely. Know, if, you, if you measure it, if you measure it out over time and everything, uh, not to knock uh, hardworking single mothers or, or, or single no, fathers no, at, not all. at all. It's not That's not the point. The point is, the the child is set up for so much more success if they if that's in in place, uh, so without a doubt, man, no. And there stuff. are there are listen, just a disclaimer: there are single moms and single dads out there that are doing bang up job, hundred percent. But imagine how much more bang up it'd be if you had a partner to be able to help you with that. Having your back, yeah, without a doubt. You know, and the kids would feel the same way. You know, um, I mean, kids need attention, they need nurturing, they need understanding, and it's 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 hard, man. You know, and boundaries I, uh, and responsibilities and accountabilities and yes, man. I didn't. I didn't take all that into consideration. I was too busy busting my partner Dave Gillespie's balls at FDIC, right? Right. And we went out to lunch with his son, and his son was terribly upset by some news that he was discussing. And I saw the dynamics playing out in front of me, and I was like, "Holy crap!" You know, and and here I am, you know, adding to the problem by busting his balls, and it just. It floored me, really impacted me. You know, um, I, I love his kids. You know, I right. mean, he lives he lives in Canada. You know, but I mean, it's I've grown to notice, man. And so when something impacts somebody that you care for and that you're close with, it affects you, man. You know, it affects you. You know, and and so those two different cultures, we don't have that same guidance system in our personal life. So when you're doing these techniques to become performance oriented, they also play over into your personal life. The goal is in performance is to slow your shit down so that you can be situationally aware of what is happening in order for your critical thinking to work properly so that you can access your recognized prime decision. And if it's not there, be able to step back and ask somebody, I'm in new grounds here, bro. Anybody got a suggestion? And Anybody got a pattern? Backing up. Yeah. yeah. What's going on here? Because, you know, listen, it, it, it ain't no secret. Even when we do everything right, the outcome ain't always favorable. It's not guaranteed. Our brothers and sisters will die even doing everything right. Yes. You know, so these techniques help you to do that. And it's the same application in your personal life. It's just got a little more complicated because you got to go seek somebody to help you do this kind of stuff and learn how to communicate, you know, with somebody that, you know, I mean, you ain't coming home and telling your wife about, you know, oh yeah, we saw this girl cut in half by this motorcycle and this and that and blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. It's, I had a bad call. So the way it worked for me, I get off shift. I sit in a tarmac in my truck and I breathe. And I slow my heart rate down and I start. uh, So through meditation, I learned about mental rehearsal. And I start practicing my drive home, what it's going to look like when I go in the house, the conversation I'm going to have with my wife, the kids, all that stuff, where I'm going to go and and how I'm going to operate that morning when I get home. Okay. So my partner talks about segmenting. So I just do foreshadowing. You're foreshadowing like. That's the mental rehearsal. That's right. And so then I drive home. And I hit cruise control, and I, I try to drive behind. I live in South Florida, man. I mean, cruise control is almost like an oxymoron because there's, there's always 
it just it's terrible we get every retard in the world driving down here you know and i so i try to go behind the slowest person it's rush hour i know it's going to take a while and i want to stay calm and emotionally decompress on my ride home so that when i get home i'm genuinely excited to be home and i have prepared myself for what the reactions are my wife is going to read me and she's going to know because in a previous time when we could have a conversation i told her listen when i come home and i'm full we got to have like a safe word or something. You know, hers is, is a timeout or something like that. I can't remember. Mine is just stop. You know, if I say stop, just it, it doesn't mean stop. It just means I'm fucked up. Right. You know, I need to, I need to, you know, and, and, and I ain't had no sleep. I need to reset. So my reset looks like going to the gym, burning off the excess freaking hormones and stuff, getting myself good and tired, come home, eating, showering, taking a nap, waking up, and hopefully I'm regenerated enough that I can have a civil conversation about what we're going to have for dinner, you know? And then while I'm at the gym, I'm thinking about, all right, how do I want to manage my afternoon when I get home? And then when I get home and I'm in my afternoon, I'm like, all right, how do I see the evening going? I got to do that on my day off because Rob Fisher was talking about shift work. And what the studies are finding out is 2472s are the best. Because if you work a 2448, you come home, your you're, you're next day, you're, you're trying to reset, you know. And you're just barely normal on your third day. And then you're going back to work after three quarters of that day is done. Right. So they're saying 72 hours in between is the best reset for mental and emotional and physical. So I know that was a long way around that, but. I love it. Chiron, I do. I really do, man. I I can sit here and talk about this stuff, especially the psychology of uh, how we how we how we remain effective when normal people are losing their shit. That's what what is kind of the 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 layman's terms of saying it. But then there's spin out from that and the fallout from from being able to be effective. You know, I love yeah. it. I could talk about it for hours. And we can't and we can't seem to pull it off at home. No now, doubt, not everybody, not everybody. But I'm just saying, you know. We've got some incredibly well-balanced people that work for us, but you know, all of us struggle at one time or another. Without and, and, and some of us are blessed to have someone, uh, you know, at home who completely gets it and, and connects, yeah. and 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 some of us don't. But and, but even if they get it, how long can you kick a dog before that dog either leaves or bites you? Without a doubt, you know. I mean, at some point, you know, and and that leads us to a whole other topic, which is input versus output, but. We'll come back to that if you want. Okay. I know we got no, more on I, the- 100%. We're, I'm on your time frame. I, I have nothing going tomorrow except the Chiefs notes, uh, Chiefs meeting, like 8 a.m., and, and uh, that's not a big deal. So you tell me. You're on East Coast time. You tell me when you're done, and we'll just keep talking. Kyle Romagas asked this question, uh, and I love this question, but he asked, can you talk about why Lieutenant Colonel Grossman's book, specifically on combat, is very relatable to the fire service, please, sir? Yes. Um, so he talks about the changes in the brain. They did a fMRI, which is a functional magnetic resonancing imagery. And he could see what parts of the brain lit up when it was activated by stress, non-stress, all this other stuff. So they, they're much better at it now. Now it's called mind mapping. They don't need to do fMRIs. But that's actually what we do in our program for, for the men and women that are coming into our program. They do a mind mapping and they can see they can see how many concussions you've had if you've had a TBI. They can see how long you've had it. Um, they can see if your hyperfrontality, which is a, a hypervigilant state because your prefrontal cortex. Um, and um, 
there's a lot of things that they can recognize. So Grossman book uh, opened my eyes to how the brain changes. It's like, uh, like being immersed in video gaming. He compares it to that. Uh, the brain actually alters and changes, you know? So these kids, some of these parents that are at home with these kids that are, that are online gaming and they're on it for hours. Right. And when they get off, they're like, rah, 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 irritable or there's a, there's a, period of time where the brain has to go back to normal and that's going to take time when they're done video gaming that's why it should be limited even for adults it just it just happens that's what happens that's called immersion and that's why we call our class immersion training because it lasts 24 hours so you're immersed in something when you're immersed it has an effect you can have a negative or a positive effect so grossman talks about how the brain alters um and how combat and law enforcement and fire, how the brain is altered as a result of the exposure. So he makes a comparison that in combat, you know, you may go for one, two, three, four deployments, but in the fire service, bro, and law enforcement and corrections, you're doing this shit for 25, 30 years, maybe right. more. Right. I mean, even if it's 15 years, it's 15 years of this repeated exposure, you know, with these all these maladaptive behaviors, and now you've just created a neural pathway that's so strong, it's your default and it's, it's not a good default. And so that's the reactive mind that you're talking about. So there's a, there's a lot more in Grossman's book because he talks about the breathing and how it works. But the part that he was missing in that book was the brainwave activity. And that's what I got from Dr. Andy Walsh, who was the performance director for Red Bull at the time. He's in private practice. Now he's Australian guy. And, um, that's before uh, QEEG, the quantitative encephaloelectrograms, came out, which is the mind mapping. So okay. they were doing it through different ways, but it was very cumbersome stuff. Um, now it's a cap they put on your head and they measure it. And it's actually pretty freaking cool. They're doing uh, EMDR while you're, right. you're, you're, you're ma- while you're mapped, um, so that you can they can see what the effects are on the brain. Oh, um, wow. I mean, technology and neuroscience just retarded cool the way some of they're coming across with some of this stuff so that, those are a couple of the high points of grossman's book there's other stuff in there too he talks about taming the puppy um you know that's so my, my dave dave likes to talk about that gillespie likes to talk about taming the puppy and um you know <coughs> i i uh it's a long story how i met grossman i actually stalked him i'll be shameless about that and um because it was a matter of trying to get back to home you know so we became uh we became friendly and emailed back and forth. And Dave is like, yeah, man, you're not going to believe who's up here. Grossman's up here. I'm like, oh, bro, let me, he said, do you think you can give me a ticket? It's sold out. I said, let me reach out to him, send him an email. He replies back to me almost immediately. Tell him there'll be a, a, a call this number. These people, they'll have a ticket at will call for him. I'm like, cool. So Dave goes, gets a ticket, goes to the seminar. He's the only fireman in there with all these cops. Right. And um, I don't know, a month later, he goes on a on an animal hunt class where these guys are teaching him about hunting big game. And there's only three people in there. It's him, Dave Grossman, and Dave Grossman's son. I oh, fucking wow. hate you, Dave. He got he got all this cool exposure, man. And uh I, I haven't even met the guy face to face yet. It's just been by phone and, and email. So that's, that's awesome. a little, no, little I anecdotal. Love it. Mark Rossi, Mark J. Rossi asked, uh, can you explain the humming technique you mentioned? as part of this breathing technique. How you doing, Mark? It's good to hear from you, brother. Um, 
Yeah, the, the, the hum technique is, so humming is one of these things that uh, the body is, finds it soothing. It's like a rocking chair. If you ever notice, some people will rock, you know. Um, that's why dancing movements, some people enjoy slow dancing because it's rhythmic, you know, and, and it's soothing. Um, and humming has the same effect on, on the body and the mind. It's, it's a soothing effect. Um, it also helps prolong the exhale. So instead of the hum, you can exhale through pursed lips. And it's prolonging that because you're increasing the tidal volume. You're breathing in deep. And then you're prolonging the, the exhale. It, has a, it pulls on the heart. It alters the SA node. It doesn't alter the SA node. It eventually slows the SA node down because it works through the vagus nerve also with releasing acetylcholine down the spinal column and affecting all the, the necessary things to slow heart rate, blood pressure, respiratory rate, improve the ability for memory, vision, um, you know, and, and the ability to be able to think and regain your, your ability to think and rationally. It is, it is physiological. It is not oh, just psychological. No, it's physiological and psychological. It works both ways. Both ways, yeah. okay. But it's yeah, not yeah. just the one. It's not just a mind trick. No, no, yes. right. Yeah, no, it's not a mind trick. This shit's legit. Uh, they've been doing it um, in, uh, like, these Buddhist monks and stuff. When you hear them all doing that, that hum technique is a soothing and resetting. And it actually goes as far as brainwave activities. It puts your brain in a certain wave uh, frequency. Um and it, they try to get it between the theta wave and the alpha wave, and that's where the brain is its most suggestive. So that's why we teach meditation, to teach guys how to hit that wave, because when you're doing a mental rehearsal, you want to make it as realistic as possible by incorporating the senses while you're in between those. So you recognize it because you've been there. And so now you incorporate it in a mental rehearsal where I'm sitting in the back uh, on the tarmac in the back of my station getting ready for the drive home. And it's actually the brain is recognizing this. So when things start coming up, it's like the brain's like, oh, yeah, I've been here before. This is what we're going to do. Right. That's why it's a mental rehearsal. That's how you gain ground, you know. That's awesome. Uh, I got one more coming from Rob Fisher. He said another question for Rick. And then I'm going to get to some uh, external versus internal. But do you think peer support in the fire service is a result of societal changes towards individualism? If I got that out, Rob, you may have to clarify. Yeah, you might have to clarify a little bit. But so, do I think it's a result of individualism? I think that that has a, I think that has a part in it. Um, I mean, think about it. Uh, I'm going through the fire academy. They're like, figure it out, bro. Right. You know, figure it out. You know, come on, you can do this. I've showed you once. Go ahead, figure it out. You know, and and it's, I think that after a while we start we take that on, you know, and um, we start playing God and we start saying, I've already showed you, you go ahead and do it. You figure it out. You become self-sustaining, you know? And, and um, I think that peer support is important because it brings us back to that, that group, that tribe. Right. And you've got to have, you got to be a part of the tribe and the more tribes that you're a part of, I'll give you an example. I go to a Bible class on Monday nights tonight. Earlier I was at a Bible class I got about, there's about seven or eight knuckleheads in this class. I could call anytime for help. Uh, I've been going to 12-step meetings for 35 years. I got a group of men that I see on Tuesday night. There's about 70 of them. 
And there's about 40 of them that I could call for anything. I belong to another, uh, another Christian based organization. And I can relate to the men that have had struggles in there. I got another dozen guys there. You know, I got men at the gym where I work out at that I gravitate towards because we have those similarities where we're trying to improve our lives. So there's a verse in the Bible that says iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. So you can be on a peer support team for the cool T-shirt, right? Or you can actually be there because you want to be part of this person's life and let them know, hey, listen, man, you ain't alone. I'm going to be right here helping you fight this fight, but you have to fight. And we're going to give you some suggestions. You don't have to take them, but it's a lot like a parachute. If you're jumping out of a plane, we strongly suggest you pull the ripcord. You ain't got to, though, you know. And so I think the peer support thing is uh, is something that's long overdue. Most of the time, it's like you, you were left alone. Who'd you go talk to? And not only that, if you showed that sign of weakness, man, when I joined the fire service, that shit was exploited. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Uh, internal dynamics versus external function. I really love this, man. Uh, I'm going to dig into it. Do we want to start with uh, recognizing arousal level? What does that mean? Where do you want to start with this question? Or All right. Let me pull this up so I can remember what my notes were talking about. Recognizing a lot. What, what are the arousal levels? So um, the arousal levels is just a term that they use in psychology and in research papers, right? For us, it's... What's the shit that pisses you off, makes you scared, you know, gets you angry? Those are triggers, right? What are those things that trigger you that cause your heart rate to go up, your adrenaline to start coming out? See, because when the adrenaline starts coming out, you're in the sympathetic nervous system. When you know your shit, you know your job, and you go out, and you got to force a door, and it's a hard door, but you got the right technique, you gap set force, it's not working, you know what you need to go back to. You try to go through the lock, it ain't working. Gap set force, it ain't working. Bring the saw out. So you have tried all three steps, you know, or you go for another door if you need to control an opening, right? So that has a different release. That's dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins. And there's, there's a whole different cascading effect. The arousal control is when things, when you start to get triggered, right? So you're rolling up. And you're not quite sure what your assignment's going to be on this because you floated out of your house and you're somewhere strange and you're rolling in and you got to ask somebody, but everybody's a ball buster, you know? And it's like, all right, well, what am I going to do? Look like an idiot on the fire ground or just sound like an idiot because they haven't given me an assignment. Do we have assignments on this truck or is the boss going to assign people assignments? Some seats have assignments. Sometimes you go someplace, the boss gives the assignment because maybe the senior guy is better at doing something else or the junior right. guy is, you know. And so that, that's a guy that knows his people. He doesn't rely on the seat, you know. Mm-hmm. So being able to catch yourself doing that, take a deep breath and go, no. A responsible person is going to ask the question rather than jeopardize the safety of my crew. They won't make fun of me. That's fine. Have at it. I got thick skin. I can take it. Ain't no big deal. Um, another one is, uh, you know, when you come home, you know, and your spouse says those, you know, four words, we need to talk. You know, most men's hair is going to stand up on the back of their neck like, oh, Christ, here we go. We talk about my emotions, and my feelings, and intimacy, and all this stuff. I just want to take a nap. Being able to control that stuff 
rather than go off the rails is very important. And that means you're going to have to learn how to reframe the way that you're thinking about certain things. And reframing is, is a process, man. It takes time. There ain't no fucking shortcuts in none of this. You know, you, how long have you been on the job now, Corley? I will hit 26 next February, so I'm 25 and a half years. Remember when you were 26 months on the job? Vaguely, although it, it, it's getting farther away, but yes. If you're a different animal now, ain't you? I knew everything back then, I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> but but your level of comfort has changed significantly Absolutely. because you have learned about the job. It's the same way with personal lives and arousal control. So it's it's that's what that is, you know? And it's I'm just that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. Reframing, man. Uh, staying in the moment, mindfulness meditation is so important. And when you say meditation, like this is, this is one of those words that firefighters really don't resonate with. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but they do it all the time. Okay. So, um, and, and here's how it's done. Uh, you ever, you ever sit in front of your television at home and, uh, your wife is like, Corley, Corley, Corley. Yeah, you know, and you're like, what? What? And she's like, can you not hear me talking to you? Well, clearly I didn't. You, you know what? Why are you yelling at me? She's well, I called your name three times. What are you thinking about? And the response is nothing. Nothing. No, because you weren't thinking about anything. Right. You were in a state where your mind was just thoughts were free flowing through there, and you probably thought about fifty thousand different things, but you were in this thing where shit was just flowing. The ability to be able to do that on purpose, that's called a discipline. To be able to bring that up, that means you're training your brain to be able to get in that, between that alpha and theta wave that I was talking about right. and how to relax. Um, it's, it's the exact same thing, except you're doing it. Mindful meditation means you need to stay focused on what you're doing right then and there. And they teach you with simple little things like here's a raisin, right? We did this program. It was an eight-week eight pilot in uh, my department, mindfulness meditation. And the guy gave us a raise. He said, I need you to chew that a hundred times. And I thought to myself, a hundred times, it's a freaking raisin, man, you know? And so here we were chewing away. And he says, before you chewed it, you had to feel the texture of it, the taste of it, how squishy was it? You know, what were the sounds resonating in your mouth like? Where were your thoughts drifting off to? Were you concentrating on this or were you drifting? Now chew and focus on every chew. Now, you're not going to do that on every chew, but the goal is the more that you do it, the more focused you can be on what you're doing. The difference between the mindful meditation on the job and at home is on the job, when risk goes up, focus goes up. When the risk is high, boy, you are freaking laser sharp with focus, sometimes to the point of tunnel vision, right? But at home, our focus isn't like that. It's not driven like that. So mindful meditation is a way to be able to learn how to develop that discipline in your brain so that you can focus on things, so that you can pay attention to what's going on. Um, So we did a class in Atlanta, and during the class, um, I got upset with my partner, and I handled it completely fucking infantile, right? And and I've been doing – I had to do a lot of fucking soul searching about that, right? Because I wanted to make it his fault. Right. You know? And I had to think about all this shit and I had to get right, you know, and it, and it took me a while. It took me a while. But 
if if I didn't have the discipline to be able to look back, right? Because you get these sets of virtues that are that that accompany these developments. That one is called a willingness and a humility to be able to recognize, all right, what's what's my part in this? Right. What no, did I 100%. do? Because I don't want to be right. I just want to feel right. I just want to I want us to be right, you know? And 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 that takes that takes discipline. And you have to have tools to be able to sharpen your discipline and your attention. And meditation is one of the ways that you can do that. Love you know? It. Yeah. <laughs> It's strong, man. Uh, I want to bring up the book, Developing Firefighter Resiliency, 100%, man. What an amazing book. You, Bob Carpenter, Dave Gillespie, and I want to give you a chance to talk about that book and say what it is and what it isn't, and, or, or just in general, whatever you want to say about it to, to everybody with the questions they have. So the, the book has got some history behind it. Um, I, I opened the show by saying this wasn't something that I created with the idea of teaching it or doing podcasts. It was it was created out of necessity. And then um, there was a guy out of Texas that put me and Bob Carpenter together. And his class, which is uh, it's a uh, class development, right? And it and and it's it's how to develop classes and how people learn and why classes have to be structured in a particular way. So he understood what I was doing from a different perspective than I did. So when we got together, it was a natural marriage. It worked out beautifully. Bob's an incredibly intelligent guy. And um, so then I ran across Dave Gillespie at FDIC, and he's like, hey, man, I've been thinking about doing this class. And I'm like, bro, you got to come to my room. I want to show you a PowerPoint. And so I did a no-no. I put in for a class at FDIC. It was uh, impact-resistant openings. And um, at the end of it, I did like 20 minutes on the topics that we're talking about now, resilience. And um, he was like, oh, my God, you got to hold my PowerPoint, shifted some things around and made it better. And he had been thinking about doing this. So there comes there comes Dave. So now there's three of us teaching this. Right. And it was getting good. And the reactions that we're getting from people are like what our brother from Texas was talking about, you know, I mean, we're making an impact yes. on men and women's lives, bro. These people are coming up to us. They're still in touch with us. They're like, bro, that changed my life, you know, because they had these struggles and we were open about, we normalized it because we're talking about it the way you and I are. Right. So I, I told them, I go, listen, we need to write a book. And um, they're like, Ooh, and Dave had a book deal up already. I mean, Bob Carpenter already had a book deal up. And so he was our in, and we got into talking to them about doing the book. They got excited, and then all the fucking hard work started. Um, you know, we started with Jones and Bartlett. That didn't work out well. We ended up with, with fire engineering. And, um, you know, Mike Gagliano gave us some advice. He says, listen, I wrote a book, um, and it was – it is the book. It's the book on the rule of air management. Right, air management, 100%. Yeah, and and that you could kill somebody. That book is like this thick. It weighs about a hundred pounds. You smack somebody in the head with that, they got a TBI. So <clears throat> he warned us about the difficulty of several authors putting, you know, a book together and trying to sound like one voice. Well, I'm thinking that's just some hokey Seattle bullshit. And I'm telling you, man, I started reading things and I'm going, oh my god, he's right. Right. Hey, this sounds like Dave talking. This sounds like Bob talking. And I sound completely than both different than them. And so we had to kind of blend it. 
but the subject matters and how we put the categories. And there is some overlap between Dave's and mine, but that's necessary because it's two different styles, two different examples, different, some different techniques in there. But it, 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 we try to get a holistic view on this whole thing on developing resiliency and how to develop a class, class development, you know, from the safety perspective and Bob had handouts in there and examples and all kinds of stuff. So we wanted a simple, comprehensive book for the fire service, no fluff, no bullshit under 200 freaking pages, softback, affordable in fireman ease, plain English. Some of it gets a little wordy, not too badly. Um, it is a, it's like condensed milk. It's like all, it's a lot. It's a lot. All of our research is behind every chapter. So if you want to delve deeper and see where we're getting our data, because some people are like, well, these guys aren't PhDs. I don't need a fucking PhD. I got the experience, you know, and there are PhDs out there that will justify what it is that we're doing through their research. And, and we've spoken to many of them. And so they put it all, we put it all together, packaged it. And uh, we wanted to add a crayon to it. Bobby Hall said, no, <laughs> But no. firemen, firemen will start eating that. Then we got to put a choking hazard warning on there. It's just not, we want a crayon because at the end of each chapter is a blank page for notes, you know, but I thought it would be a cool gimmick. He got over, you know, but <laughs> that's how the book came about because we wanted the right information to get out there because there's a lot of people that think they know what they're doing and they end up creating further training scars on people that are already scarred, you know, and it, and it just, that's not, you know, training's a place to make mistakes, but it's not a place to get scarred. Love it. I, I love that quote right there. I need to timestamp it, actually. <laughs> you are quite the pod master, bro. <laughs> I don't know about I don't know about that. I do what I do, and uh I don't know if anybody else does it this way. Mark Isom said, Rick, what bit of information would you give to a brand new member of a department? on what to do if they have an event that significantly is bothering them. You need to go find one, a clinician, preferably a psychologist. And if they are a therapist, either way, they have to understand our culture. They have to be familiar with trauma. So they have had to have worked with the military or law enforcement or some branch of uniform personnel because I don't need to explain my culture. I'm going to be talking to them in our abrasive tone and they're going to go, oh, I think your problem is you have an anger management problem and you just want to punch them in the throat because they're missing the point. Right. So you got to find somebody that's relatable. Second, you got to get to them like right away. If it's bugging you and the minute you start wondering, man, is this bugging me? This has come up. Don't ask another question. Just go get some help. Go talk to somebody. Because at that point, it's an acute traumatic exposure and can be dealt with very, very quickly. You let that shit fester and then pile another one on top of it and another one because you're thinking, well, I got past the other one. I'll be okay with these. And they start building. Now now you're in this dark place that, you know, it's just hard to dig out of it. You can get out of it, but it's hard to dig out of it, you know. And I think that's what happens with our suicide rate. Mm. So speed, I mean, man, this is me just processing that speed and alacrity being the keys in the response, man. Yeah. It's like throwing water on a fire, bro. You see a fire. What do you do? Put the fucking thing out. You know, you got a choice, save lives or put the fire out, but you put the fire out. Everything gets better. Yes. You know, um, 
where you give up the glory and just go for the grab and let somebody else have the glory of putting fire. But the, the bottom line is you got a fire. You need to freaking extinguish it or do the best you can to smother that thing. Hmm. Touched on that. Uh, so the internal external. Yes. The internal external is um, the question I pose to. So I'll be tomorrow about 915 in the morning. I kick off with 12 people that are in this program whose lives are hanging in the balance. They're 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 at a treatment facility. They're 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 broke, you know, and I will ask them a question, you know, and, you know, tomorrow actually was last week. The topic was how do you feed your soul? And so if you don't, if you have to ponder that, ponder it. But how do you feed your soul? Because most of us are about output. We work, we buy the house, we pay the bills, we take care of the family, we pay for the school tuitions, we pay for all the, the medical, we got to take kids to you know their, their games, we got to do all this stuff. Where's your input? What do, how are you feeding your soul? Do you have those intimate moments with your higher power if you have one? Mine is God. A lot of people frown on that. But you know what? That was the missing piece for most of my life. But I had to go on this journey to figure out all that, you know? And so how you feed your soul is how do you actually do things for yourself that feed the internal? Because most of your stuff is all external shit. So you're, you're messed up internally. What do you do? I do external stuff to fix the internal. It doesn't work like that. You have to do internal stuff to fix the internal. And it's the same with feeding your soul. You have to find a way to be able to talk with somebody in the absence of being judged, to be able to feed your soul, to be able to grow, to ask questions about, I don't know how to deal with these emotions. I don't know. Bro, I was watching a movie last night, sitting in a recliner, crying. Now, I don't know what happened, man. At some point in my life, I started, I turned into, I started crying. But I'm over there wiping my tears, hoping my wife don't see me, which is stupid because she loves it when she sees that. She sees the humanness, you know? Yeah, she sees no. the humanness. She's not this, this hard ass prick, you know? And, and, and being able to discuss those things, being able to get comfortable with them, acknowledge that it's part of the human existence that we're, we've learned how to suppress from being on the job. And then sharing those intimate moments with a loved one is extremely valuable. And being able to go and do things together from that position is just, mm. that's dynamite, man. Yes. That's, that's incredible. You're working with some very, very powerful stuff there. You know, love is not, uh, you know, it's not a noun. Love's a verb. That's something you do, man. But how do you do it? Is it conditional or is it unconditional? Well, if she does this or he does this, I'm going to do that. That's conditional. Right. Unconditional is nice. He's sideways or she's sideways right now. And you know what? I don't like her very much right now, but I love her. You know? Right. And and we'll get past this. We'll circle back and discuss it and whatnot. We keep trying. We, you know. And I love, I, I really do love that. I don't like her much right now. <laughs> but that that's happens. real. That's very I'm, real. My wife will tell you that. She'll yeah. tell me. She'll go, you know, I don't like you very much right now. I said, yeah, but you love me, don't you, baby? <laughs> and she goes, get out of the house. Go somewhere. Do something. Go somewhere. Go smoke a cigar. William Van Brenner asked this question. What was the point while you were writing that you knew the book was going to be successful? Was there a hesitation in writing slash releasing in fear of failure? Okay. 
So um, that's a really great question. I can only answer from my perspective. The other two authors, authors uh, Bob Carpenter and Dave Gillespie, have theirs. So mine was, um, it wasn't about a failure because I knew what we were doing um, was actually legit and works. Um, and it was very important. So it became a matter of, will it be, will it resonate? Will people understand what we're trying to accomplish? That's why we didn't delve into the mental aspect too deeply, excuse me, the mental health aspect too deeply. And we kept it to performance training and tried to associate it with um, the fire service. So I never wrote the book to make a name or to make money. I didn't do either one out of those. And I ain't making them. I made maybe $200. I, I've made maybe $500 on that book since it was published. It, I get 5% of the proceeds. It's nothing. Right. And, and I don't care. I did it because it was necessary. Right. And, and I think I can speak for Dave and Bob and say they have the same heart. It needs to be said. It needs to be written. And we're going to be the ones that do it because we're the ones that are actually practicing it. So a lot of people will do lectures on resilience and they'll identify problems. Well, we've identified solutions and know how to implement them in our training. I love it. So, yeah. I hope Todd, that helps, Will. No, I think it's a great question, great answer. Todd Hayes said, if you don't have a clinician available, who would be a good second choice? Like, like is there a hierarchy to, like, obviously a psychologist that is a clinician is great. A, a psychologist that is a clinician that was a first responder is like the pinnacle, right? But is there a hierarchy a, to it? How about a, re, a retire a retired fireman that you respect that, that you could talk to about something one on one? And the reason I say retired is because he's removed, so you don't have to worry about rumors and all that other crap that we tell ourselves, right? So the stigma—it's a self-imposed thing. We're worried about what other people think, right? It's retarded, it, but we do it. I do it. I'm guilty of it. Um, from there, I would go to a pastor. Um, or somebody that, that, that you can trust like that, a preacher, a pastor. Um, there are, uh, that's really a good question. Um, th- those are the people that I would go to. So, see, I have things available to me. Like uh, when I go to meetings, I got men that I know that these guys, they're not going to judge me. They're actually going to be like actively like listening and, and wondering, okay, can I help him? And if not, at least I understand a little more of what he's going through. And the more that you speak about it, the more it normalizes it, at least until you get to the point where you can find some solutions or somebody that can identify and go, yeah, you know what, bro? I went through that. I I really wish I had a good answer, but I don't know. I'm fucked up. I think about that all the time, you know, and now you two guys can get together and talk about possible solutions or where you can just hope it's hope. Where, where can you go? to find someone that can garner some hope for hope, you know, I mean, because that's, you're kind of like in a scared state and it's, it's relatively like hopeless. And you just don't want it to get to the point of desperation. Mm. That's powerful. Very, very man. You can use the phone. They've got freaking one, 800 numbers. I've never used one, but I mean, if you're that far removed, that might be an option, you know? All right, we talked about your book, obviously. We talked about Grossman's book. Is there a book or books to suggest that you think firefighters should read? Like something you think firefighters yeah. should be reading? I, 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 I get this question a lot, and there are a lot of yes. books out there. 
Um, and I have read a lot of books. I have, I have a wall that is 22 feet long. That was a bookshelf and it was filled with books that I had read. Wow. And when we remodeled, my wife was like, we got to get rid of some of these books. And I got offended because every one of those books meant something to me. Right. hundred percent. It's part you of know, your soul. Don Shula wrote a book about how to become a leader. And all these books has a, they, they gradually led me somewhere. So I got books from inspirational to religious to motivational to, you know, academic to, and they run the gambit. Um, I, you know, Chris Brennan, uh, I think it was the combat position is the book that he wrote. It was, I th- think it was through fire engineering. I can't recall. I believe so. I believe so. It was, but- yeah. That was a very good book. Fire Psych is another one. Michael Ashkin, Dr. Michael Ashkin. I think that's out of print right now. Um, there, there, man, there's a lot of books, man. No, uh, what's his name? I love this question. I actually hate, it's a love-hate with this question because every time I ask it, especially from a reader, I get books added to things I have to read. Does that make sense? Who? What, yes. Who was yeah. that that asked that question? No, no. Is that this your, is, your question? This, this is a standard, yeah. This is a So listen. Standard. My memory is great. My recall, not so great, you know? So there are guys out there. I'm trying to remember his name. It's embarrassing. I can't. He's the chief at the colony. Yeah, Scott Thompson. Scott Thompson. Yes. He's, he's got a great book, man. A functional he's got fire a great company. book. One of Frank my all-time Mascuso. favorite books. Yes. Frank, Frank Mascuso has written, like, a ton of books on leadership and stuff. The thing is... If you're going to read a book, be prepared to implement some of the strategies in that book in your life because the answer is not going to come from just reading a book. You could read all the books and then be part of a book club and and go, oh, I, I read that book. I read 200 books in the last 30 days or whatever. Big fucking deal. What kind of impact has it had on your life and those that are around you? How has it helped you make the fire service better? You know? How, how, how simplistic is it to be able to incorporate some of these techniques, you know, are there techniques in there or is it just merely a motivational book, which is good. It's not a bad thing, you know? So, yeah, I, I I really do have a lot of suggestions for books, but I mean, I just keep drawing blanks. Last time I was on here, I said the Bible and um, great books again, they can't go wrong. I go to listen, any book that has, a quote in there in Psalms that says it's better to live on the corner of a roof than in a mansion with an angry woman. You got my attention. <laughs> Some wisdom. Yeah. Uh, 100%. Okay. So the first time you were on, like I said, if, if for those that don't know, Rick George, I called him one day because somebody canceled on me and on I don't even think I called you. I just I, I typed it in Facebook because I was so intimidated because you're Rick George. And I said, hey, would you, you know, and he 100% filled in like on a six-hour notice and did weekly scrap number 17. I believe it was 17. I think you're right. And uh, it was awesome. But since then, the scrap has grown and, and evolved. Uh, we, we grew into something called the, the five questions for firefighters. And then there's been a lot of people who've answered those questions. So many, in fact, that we changed it and had to do the next five questions. So, uh, the, the answers are 100% your opinion. There is no right or wrong. And then the, uh, points are completely arbitrary and assigned by me. Although I asked for the audience to please help me score them because everybody makes fun of how often I give out max points. Excuse me. So, 
Rick George, are you ready for the next five questions for firefighters? Do it, bro. Here we go. Number one, what single characteristic makes the difference between a run-of-the-mill firefighter and the top-tier go-to badass firefighter? A true desire and love in what you do. I mean, if, if, if you love what you do and you have a desire to be really, really good at what you're doing, you don't need anything else. You're, you're going to work. You'll work miracles, man. You'll keep going. You'll find the, you know, you have, you already have that internal desire and you have this love that it's like, I'm doing what I was put on this earth to do. What fucking more do you need? You know? So just a love for the job, love and a desire. It's it's all of those things are internally motivated. There's no, you know, there, there, there are people that, you know, believe it or not, you know, out there in podcast land, there are people on the job that are just here for the bennies, man. They're just Mm -hmm. here for the benefits. They're here for the t-shirt, whatever. They're not real firemen, you know, um, you know, they're, 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 they're people that work for a fire department. You know, Bruce Clark used to say that all the time. You know, he says there's, there's firemen and there's people that work for a fire department. And it's the truth. You can't, you can't argue with that. Everybody experiences it. So the criteria for firemen, you know, now there's different motivational levels. Like some guys will say, okay, well, we'll only train for an hour, a shift. Others will be like, man, let's go train all day. You know, there's a balance in there, you know. And, um, and I think that, that, that once you, that love and desire starts to come out and you start attracting other people, look at what happens now. Okay, well, what are we going to do? Let's go clean the rig. All right, let's clean the rig. But before we do that, why don't we stretch some hose? You know, why don't we do a quick split pull and let's see how quickly we can deploy it, flow water, break it down and repack it, you know, and just make it a freaking, you know, I'll buy pizza tonight if, if we can do it in under <laughs> five love minutes, it. you know, whatever. I mean, you know, it just, it, and, it, and it creates that camaraderie and, and that camaraderie comes from a love and a desire, you know? I mean, and, and when you start doing it, it gets infectious because you're now have become a mentor towards those people that really don't have the direction, you know, they don't have the direction. And, and, and it's, I think it's inherent in everybody. It's just, how do you tap it? No, I love that. I love that it's inherent. And I really do agree with that. And that resonates with my soul. William Van Brenner said, max points, exclamation point. I think that's the first time I've heard someone say love. When you say love and desire, I think it is the first time I've heard love and desire. I really do. There's a lot of scrappers out there that may correct me on that. But man, max points on number one. Number two, if you could go back in time. I'm really excited for this question. Uh, I'm sure you've heard it before. But if you could go back in time and give yourself a, one piece of advice as a rookie, what would it be? Oh. <laughs> so this is a tricky question. and I'll, <laughs> It had to do with our system. And okay. Our system was broken. There was no station bidding. You were stuck, you know. And seniority took all the best jobs. And there were just there was no open bidding. People got picked. And so I was stuck till I was 13 years on the job on a rescue. And it ain't a heavy. It's an ambulance. And um, we're missing fires because we're running medical calls. At that point, I was probably one of the best medics. Uh, You know, now I really I just so burned out on it. I don't I don't care. When I retired five years ago. 
I thought if I got them done with that shit, I ain't got to crawl into tight spaces no more. I ain't got to wear a mask no more. I ain't got to do that. And then the pandemic comes around and I got to wear a mask everywhere. It's just like, I'm like, like looking at the Lord going, really, bro, this is, this is it, right? <laughs> what, what did I do? You know, is this my penance for everything that I've done bad in my life? But, um, I, I think what I would tell myself is be patient. This is where you're supposed to be. Mm. Just wait for your opportunity and don't squander your opportunities because I did squander my opportunities to promote because I didn't like who my bosses were. And so I, I, I was so arrogant that I said I would never work for them under a command position because that guy's a chooch. He couldn't find his ass if you put one of his hands on one cheek and a map on where the other one was. You know, the man can't lead a dog on a leash. He definitely ain't going to be leading me. You know, and that was my attitude, which is a shitty attitude. You know? Literally, what you you uh, chopped your nose off. That's right. Yeah, just despite that's your face. right, yeah. despite my face. Yeah, no, and I, it's one of my biggest regrets: not promoting often mm. and frequent enough. Don't you know? I got a light going out here now. <laughs> Dude, hundred uh, percent, two for two, max points on number two because oh, I nice. love that. I absolutely love that answer, especially with the uh, the circumstances and the rescue, and and the 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 Florida version of what a rescue is, which is the ambulance. Oh, it is the most abusive and grinding job that we have down here. It will, it'll make you want to quit. Number three. What is your favorite training drill? Oh, the roof. I loved it. I loved it. I, 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 anything to do with the roof. Um, so we had a prop in, uh, behind our station, and um, it was with the chainsaw, right? And learning how to float the chainsaw over rafters, being able to feel it, what that feels like. And then on a flat deck, being able to use the K-12. And so we'd get to the point where naturally you got a spotter with you. But we would take our hoods and put them on backwards to black us out. So like you're in smoke conditions and you would be surprised how much of the feel and sound goes into it at that point. Right. Because now the risk of me screwing up has just increased. So my focus is as I'm like on high alert, I'm sharp so I can hear the RPMs. I can feel it. And in the beginning, you're kind of guessing yourself. And after a while, through the repetitive nature of it, you start to get better and better at it. You know, I love that. So I love, I love that. I love that. Actually, feeling in your wrist when you're hitting that rafter, as opposed to the whole to, thing, man. You yeah. can feel it in the vibration on the floor, in your wrists, in your arms. You know, the saw, the slightest movements. Um, you become a technician. You know, it, it's it's really it's really was really cool. We started doing that in training, and bro, the safety officer almost came out of his freaking shoes. He's like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like. Just sit in the corner. Ain't nobody ever got hurt doing this. You know, I'm right here with them, you know. And so now the technique is keep the saw in front of you. Stay centered. Don't overreach. And you'd be surprised. You take people's vision away. They start paying attention to that stuff. You know, Absolutely. And anytime you take, and I'm not saying those are basic skills. Those are not basic. But for truck work, those, sure. are, the, those are the bread and butter fundamentals. Anytime you take the basics and try to remove them from the equation, I love that answer, man. It, it, so. It's just increasing the degree of difficulty. You want to be a master at what you're doing. You got to do the stuff you ain't never done. <laughs> you know, that's I just gotta, the way it is. I got to clue you in on these two, which is Kyle Romagus and Rob Fisher talking over here on the side, because 
there. Kyle, did you just hear that? He's talking truck work. And uh, Kyle said he's a truckie through and through. But I still love him with all of my soul. And Rob Fisher said, was, Rick. Yeah, go ahead. I was, I was on the engine. And when we roll up to a fire, we were so good at doing roofs. If the ladder wasn't there, we took the roof. Nice. Nice. No, Rob Rob said truck work is not basic. What I, I did not mean to say it was basic. I'm saying if you're a truckie, what we're talking about is the basics and fundamentals of truck work. The fundamentals. Go with right. that one. That's what and I was trying to say. the fundamentals and taking them to a whole other level. Was not trying to d- denigrate those those skills, if that makes sense. Uh Number four, and I, 100%, one, two, and three, you've crushed the answer so far with max points. What mistake have you learned the most from in your fire service career? Being judgmental, thinking I, I knew better, um, especially on scenes that you're not on. You know, I reviewed a, uh, a video once of our guys fighting a fire in the L-Dub. The L-Dub's the nickname for Lake Worth up here. And um, it's a, uh, it's it just gets fire, you know. And um, they couldn't they couldn't bang this fire out. And they kept going into one place, trying to hit it, and they couldn't shut it. And I'm like, man, why do they keep backing out of that apartment, man? That's the right place, you know. It's the right place. And I'm like, these fucking guys, this and that, blah blah. blah. So the next shift, we drove over there, and you know why? Because they had built a partition wall in there. And they couldn't access that apartment. It was done illegally. That never happens in the fire service. Sure, right? no, yeah, we never yeah. ran into that. And so, and and I felt like such an idiot. And it was a big lesson because I'm like, I will never judge. Yeah, it was usually pictures. Don't judge a picture, right? Because you weren't there. Well, now we're watching a video. I'm like, well, it's a video. Clearly, these clowns. You know what are they doing? They keep going in. They're trying to go in through the fire door. You know, and I mean, you could do it, but man, pull the deuce out, knock that thing down. You know, and. Had a lot of opinions, judging them, thinking I knew better, you know. You know what they say about the fire service. When you think you know it all, you need to get the fuck out because you're going to get somebody hurt, you know. No. Um, and and that, that, I guess judgment, man, it's the thing, you know. I mean, repeat the question because I know there's one other thing that I might want to throw in there. But What mistake have you learned the most from in your fire service career? Being rushed, rushing, and being judgmental. I have actually parked underneath power lines that, as the fire progressed, started impinging on and would have draped right across our apparatus. You know, um, I, I have rushed to, um, you know, force doors and uh, it was a wrong entry point, mm-hmm. you know, um, because we're always in a rush to try to beat the next company. You know, um, we almost got in an accident once. Uh, they were coming around the corner. We were coming around the corner. And I mean, we just. <laughs> It was close, you know, and it, it was just that kind of stuff. I love the humility of every part of that answer from uh, the judgmental part, especially because that, that takes some maturity, man. Cause when you're younger, it's so easy to judge, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it, cause we know it all. Oh, hundred percent, man. Yeah, bro. And then, but no, the humility in it, but then the tactical side of it too. Like you're also tying humility into that, man. I love that answer. So there's four for four. And then the final question, one of my favorite questions is there is heavy fire and searchable space. Would Rick George rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? I would go to VES. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why I, I would. It, it's just the preference. 
I mean, everybody wants to be on the knob and you got to have grunts back there for pinch points and, and you got to have the right line. You got to make all those decisions. The VES, you're either, it's on you, man. It's on you. You know, it's on you. You, you got to close the opening. If it's not an opening or like where Robbie's at, they got these warming houses. It's a huge opening. Once you bust that window, now what? What's your plan B? You, you need to know your area, you know? So that was the one thing that riding on the bus bus got me. I got to learn layouts of a lot of different things on medical calls. And it's come to fruition. We've had fires in, you know, in apartment buildings. And I knew what the layout was going in, you know? And, and, and homes, you know, we were rolling down the street. And as we came across, as we coming down the street, I slowed down. And my, my boss and I, I'm, I'm driving for him. And we're looking at it. And we're slowing down. And I slow down. So we're, we're coming up on it. He can see the D side. We see the A side. We pulled just past it. He can see the B side. He said, um, he told the fireman, he said, Joe, get ready to pull the line. He says, uh, Ricky, grab the water can. And um, he says, I'm going to go around back. And um, he didn't come back out. He said, come on around back. He opened the front door. And um, he says, bring me the water can. And, and uh, gave him the water can. He went in. And uh, he put the fire out. It was a pot on a stove. It wasn't a structure fire. Just a lot of smoke, you know. But it was the color of the smoke. And when we got back to the station, the rookie's like, how did you guys do that? Because we had a rookie riding with us. Sure, and I said, sure. how did we do what? He goes, that fire. I go, what, bro? It was a pot on the stove. He goes, no. How did you guys know? You didn't even pull the hose. Why would you take that kind of chance? And I was like, oh, I got you. I said, in that neighborhood, all of those ranches are split. And the kitchen's in the middle. The smoke was ejecting out of the back. The kitchen parallels the living room that's got sliding glass doors. And that's where the smoke was issuing from. It was white smoke. So we knew inherently from being in there, it was in the kitchen. More than likely a pot on the stove because of the color of the smoke. It wasn't, and it wasn't issuing like a ton of smoke. This kid just saw smoke. He's thinking, fire, let's go. Pull the hose, bust the door in, and we're gone, you know? Sliding glass door was open. He opened it, took the pot off, threw it in the sink, opened the front door, give me the water can just in case, cabinets and whatnot. Sure. And, um, and that was it. And he just looked at me like he couldn't believe that. And I said, yeah, listen, you're going to be stuck on a rescue. You're going to be going to these homes. You're going to learn the layouts. And when you roll up, you're going to know where that fire is at, depending on where that fire, where that smoke is issuing from. That's a 99% chance you're going to know where you're going. You know, but you're already going to know the layout. So when you go in and it's freaking blackout conditions, you're, you're going to know how to feel around and where to get to, you know, and where, where are we going to find our victims through the path of travel that they most often come from, you know, and where's a fire typically going to be? I mean, unless they're a smoker and in bed or it's a, right. a you know, a heating, a, a heater, which in South Florida, we don't get a lot of, but, you know, but most of fires will start in a kitchen, you know? So I said, those are some things that, you know, and he didn't, he didn't recognize that. We did. That was one of the things I, you know, kind of introduced him to. I didn't even really give it much thought. It's just kind of those things that you learn on the job. Absolutely. I learn how to put into words and, you know, Kyle said, it it. Kyle said, boom, the guy that tells you that experience doesn't matter, doesn't have it. That's right. And no, it's hundred percent, man. That's, That's right. That, that, uh, if, but if you don't think experience matters, try getting some. <laughs> That's a great. Hold on. I got to timestamp that. Give me a second. I got, gotta make my notes, okay? Because there's some. Hey, I, good... got, 
I got. I'm going to pull up some stuff here while you're talking. I'm not trying to be rude. I got a bunch no, no. of text messages from people here. So anything you want to share, go for it. I want to hear I'm it. Gonna, let me see what let me see what these boys are. I'll put you on the spot. I, I want to share it. Holy crap! Look at all this. Okay, <laughs> I got Stephanie's. Houston Parks. Houston, good to hear from you, brothers. Houston was captain on special ops for a long time. Love it for Palm Beach County. He uh, he sent a text out. And Daredevil Dave Gillespie uh, loves a visit with Joanne. Cameo appearance. Likes a podcast. My boy Lee Forshner. A lot of you guys know Lee Forshner. Lee Forshner, so I'm going to stop here for a second. Go. He was a guy that uh, a lot of people thought he was faking the PTSD thing. And um, he, he, he uh, not until recently, and I think it's been six or seven years, has he walked into a firehouse and been relatively comfortable actually went back to fdic and it was a win i mean there were some some uncomfortable times and stuff but it was a win for him this is how it affects you right so that question about you know getting some help right away um because if you don't it will rob you of your love and joy and your passion for this Mm. job and you won't be able to go back to it and you'll feel like i'm done i'm full um you don't want to do that lee lee fought for six years before he could finally get his uh high-risk disability and he got it and through the PTSD bill, but, um, he, uh, he got, uh, he got lucky. He went and met this band and they played music and league was one of the bagpipers for our, our, uh, bag, our pipes and drums. And, um, you know, I mean, the parades and stuff is great, but a lot of the times these guys are doing funerals, funerals. and no, memorials and shit. So, you know, he had to, he loved playing music and he had to, he had to normalize that again. Well, this band interviewed him, and they're like, man, play with us. So he ends up playing with these guys, and they start touring all over Europe and everything. And um, he played, uh, I think, nine years he played with Dropkick Murphys. So, um, and, and he's doing well. Him and I go out and do some, uh, some workshops from time to time. We did one up for our brothers up in, uh, in New England, and um, it, was, uh, it was good. We did another one in Texas, in San Antonio, that was, uh, that was well-received also. Nice. Um, who we at here? Oh, Daredevil Rob Ramirez. <laughs> My man, uh, Rob. Macho. Two-day-old baby, bro. His Nash. son's his name is Nash. Yes. Yeah. He says... Uh, Happy uh, yeah. two-day-year-old Nash. Yes. Yeah. I don't know what that's called. Two-day birthday. Yeah. And then there's Daredevil Kyle Rogamus on there. And Jason Blasey. Yes. Um, Jason Blasey's with Miami Dade. He wants to know if he can come up tomorrow uh, to sit in on the groups that I'm doing with these guys. And I'm writing yes, of course. And um, that's it. Solid. That's it. Yeah. Hey, I want to say, because you answered the next five questions for firefighters, and you absolutely crushed them and knocked them out of the park, five for five on max points. Not just my opinion, but also the opinion of the audience that was listening. So I want to be very clear on that, because... That's cool, man. 100%. That's cool. There it I is. My buddy, uh, Patrick Armitage, um, call him Army. He's a, he's a paratrooper. He's one of the instructors on our, on our cadre, who's just a fucking absolute stud. And speaking of studs, uh, Mark Mikoski up in uh, Alpharetta. I believe it's Alpharetta. I always screw that up, man. Yep, no, it's Alpharetta Fire. And he says, uh, solid work is always a page out of the Mikoski book with the emotions. I love you, bro. Um, it, it, you guys aren't you guys aren't 
alone when it comes to this stuff, man. I I want to I want to I want to brag go. on our cadre, brother. We got, go. Uh, we got um, a solid cadre and and guys in reserve. And Robbie Hendricks out in Portland's another one. And um, these guys, um, when we work with these men and we do our immersion training for twenty four hours, we break them down physically. And then you know somewhere around the eleven hour two o'clock in the morning hour they start fucking up and when they start fucking up because i mean the human body can only go so far right they start to get physically tired then the mind wants to tap out once the mind starts to check out that's when we step in and start doing our work tell them slow down breathe focus remember all the things that we've been teaching you and we do a little post-incident analysis after every you know we break them up into alpha bravo charlie and delta companies and so they're all running doing these different things from hose pulls to large area searches and all these different things but during the day it's physical exercises to beat them down we got to wear you down physically i can't do life threatening with you right and they're all wearing heart monitors and stuff and and dave does a great job with a lot of the the lecturing and we've got yoga for first responders so they're doing yoga you know and they're doing all these different things and when they start breaking down these guys step up you know, and Tuna is another one. Tuna's uh, retired from medically retired, got his career snatched from him, had a couple mm-hmm. back surgeries. And um, these men have all had their trials and tribulations. And so these guys, we develop relationships with them. Some are going through divorces. Uh, some are having anxiety problems. Some just want to get better. We're teaching them breathing techniques. And we had this freaking abnormal dude. He must have had a third lung, bro. <laughs> so he is taking the old tanks the old scott tanks the quarter um alerts right instead of third it's the quarter alerts and he's doing the breathing technique this guy went a hundred and twenty two minutes on a thousand psi using our techniques oh wow 122 and the average in the class was somewhere between 45 to 60 minutes on low air now they're not working this right, right. No, no, completely survival. Is it wheel breathing type uh, or, or? Yeah, we do the wheel breathing. Okay. And we do some the breathing techniques and they incorporate whatever right. they want and they go, they, they learn about the mental rehearsal. And but the that's a, and that, that is some stretch and some PSI, my brother. Yeah. And the guys with the anxiety, we tell them, listen, this isn't fear. You're going to come across it. This is a challenge. We want you to just push the needle forward a little bit, get further a little bit each time. And we keep doing these drills and reinforcing them so we go from instructor to coach frequently. And this cadre, fucking stellar, bro. Stellar. It it is. They are just, I can't brag on them enough. You know, I know I've left a couple of them out, but um, there's there's quite a few of them, man. They're they're very, very good. That's awesome, man. And, And the passion obviously shows through in how much you care for them. Yeah, and with yeah. that, makes it officially 152. If you'd asked me back at 17 if we'd be doing 152, man. Oh, Jesus, been that long, bro, dude. 100. 152 scraps in the books. Rick George, hey, if someone wants to reach out to you, get a hold of you, uh, smoke a cigar with you, or just get a uh, just just make contact with you. What's the best way to do so? Five six one two three nine one nine zero eight. That's my cell phone. Um, my email is surfdogs, S-U-R-F-D-O-G-S, the plural, followed by the number four at yahoo.com, surfdogs4 at yahoo.com. That number is 561-239-1908. And I, I got a number a number here for you also. Um, let, me, let me find it. Give me one, one second right here. Okay. 
So any complaints and problems that you have, go to 405-863. No, that's, that's Corley's number. You can send it. You can send it. If you're going to put yours out there, I'll put mine out. I can't not. I love that. I was actually getting ready to type it up. And put it up. I thought it was going to be some sort of help number or something. I was going to put it oh, up there. Oh, my boy Connor Arnold. Love you, bro. He just sent me a text, man. Love it. He's he's out there with you. And then uh, I got another guy that just sent me his number. His name is Corey. He works for Palm Beach County. He started a men's group for firemen. We got guys from all over the state and a couple of out of state. He wants to know if I'd like to be a part of it. How, how wonderful is that, bro? Firemen are getting together to help each other. The network, when you start, unbelievable. When you, when you start looking and saying who else is out there feeling like me, you will be blown away by the number of people that are out there feeling the way you feel. That is correct. Right? It, it, it is, is humbling. It, yes. If you don't think there's a God, <clears throat> ain't nobody else can pull that kind of freaking DNA together amongst a bunch of freaking Type A personalities. But then, you know, <laughs> I'm serious, bro. I'm, just, I'm with you. Unbelievable. Uh, so, go ahead. I don't want to cut you off, brother. You're, you're oh, on a roll. No, that was good. I, I, I'm, I'm like, my cuppeth overflow, bro. I really am humbled by these kind of things, you know? These men that call here and, and are open and ask questions and talk and, and sit in on the scrap and, and you doing podcasts like this and stuff. I mean, it's going to take a small army to, to, to change this thing. You know, what do they say? The fire service is like a freaking uh, aircraft carrier. Yes. It'll turn, but real, real slow. You know, really it's going to take every one of us, you know. And we ain't no different. None of us are any different. This guy, Mark, he's like a freaking tank, man. He's like a, he just like, he's like a diesel motor, you know. One of the most humble and open with emotion men that you will ever find. He goes, he, when we were done with the class, he left to Mexico to go do some ministry work down there and build some houses and stuff for people that are, I mean, come on, bro. You know, these are men with heart, you know? Right. I mean, I love associating with people like that, you know? I absolutely love it, man. Yeah. It's I cool. Can... You know, it's, it's, you gotta be careful who you associate yourself with, you know? Um, you got, you want to associate yourself with good men. You, you don't, you know, you start associating yourself with bad men. That just has a ripple effect that, uh, it, it devastates people that love you and care about you and, and like you. And, you know, and it's, uh, you know, we need all the help we can get, especially in this day and age. There is no doubt about it. And I will That's say, right. I always tell people I'm the luckiest person in the fire service, man, because I am blessed to know a lot of great, uh, firefighters, firefighters, uh, great men in the fire service. And I'm yeah. still, I keep asking and they keep coming on my show and I'm, I'm super humbled by the fact that like Rick George comes on and does my show, you know, oh, Frank, come on, bro. Frank, we like this, bro. We like, I know, like I know, brothers, man. I, come on, dude, how, how awesome is it for to be me and say that I can say that? It, the funny part is I was at FDIC and I said, Hey Rick, we, somebody wanted a picture, right? And, and I said, Rick, will you take a picture real quick? And, Cause you were just outside the classroom. And then, like, two weeks later, I'm going through my phone, and there's Rick. He, he flipped the camera around, did a selfie with a big old <laughs> smile. But I loved it, man. It was like I have Rick photobombing my camera roll. So yeah. it's a great, great feeling, man. I really, yeah. really mean that. Cool. Uh, 
All right, wrapping up. Here's the here's the end of the game housekeeping. 152 scraps in the book. Rick, thank you for giving me your uh, your evening on this Monday night. The Vigilantes is live. If you want to be a part of it, we had an awesome forum yesterday. We talked about electrical vehicle fires, and uh, we did a Jared Sergi's. Uh, it's underneath the laptop. Jared Sergi's No Nonsense Leadership Book. We talked about it. It was a good time, man. If you want to be a part of that, go to firehousevigilance.com. Everything uh, about joining the Vigilantes is there. Uh, what else have I got? Next stop for me, into the job in Wichita, Kansas. I will be there. If you're going to be there, want to get pictures, uh, please, please ask. I'm, I'm the world's worst at getting pictures, although I love them. So please ask me to get pictures and I'll throw them on my phone. Uh, I want them and I, I'm just so bad because I'll be like, I'll talk to you for 10, 20 hours and never get a picture the whole time and then the next day kick myself. So, uh, there you go. Then I'll be at Water on the Fire down there in the Panhandle of Florida. I'm looking forward to that. Looks like I'm going to be teaching a class there. Super excited. Uh, so again, same thing applies. Uh, the scraps, unbelievable. Check out this lineup, man. Isaacson came on for 150. Viscuso 151. Rick George 152. Kyle Romagus is following up Rick George, and then Mark Von Oppen. So how is that? And then it just goes on. I mean, the, unbelievable, man, the, the, the lineup. It goes, here, I'll just read it. Devin Craig, Mike Dugan, Robbie Townsend, Dina Ali, Chad Butzine, Bill Gustin, and then Jay Bonifield. That's what's scheduled coming up moving forward. So uh, insane. That's awesome. No, I, I, dude, it, it blows my mind. Uh, does it get better than that? Uh Okay, here's the last thing. I, I, I'm trying to get everything right. I need to do a better job of this. So everybody, please go rate the podcast. I have to ask. Give it the five. What, if you listen on Spotify, give it five stars. If you listen on Apple, give it five stars. I really am asking. If you do it, hey, take a screenshot of it, uh, whatever, and send it to me. I'll send you stickers. I'm, I'm bribing you, but it's a great way to spread the podcast or the the show. Uh, go rate it. Leave a review if you're able to. Uh, I will bribe you, 100%. No, no shame there. Uh, if you know anyone that might be interested in being a part of the uh, NASCAR uh, sponsorship down below, that's what pays the bills. That's what allows me to buy equipment. I'm going to replace this whole computer system uh, eventually uh, because it is it is showing its age. But uh, if you know someone who wants to be a part of it, let me know uh, and and have them reach out. Like Key Hose, the Hose Experts, Elkhart Brass, a safe fleet brand, affordable deer towers, man. Uh, 100% and then Citizens First Fire Training. Those were our sponsors today and I wanted to mention them again. My brother Rick George every time I talk to you man I feel like I've been invigorated and ready to take on the world. Right on. That's awesome bro. I wish I could take the glory for that but you know who gets that. I understand. I really do man but you do have a gift in in uh, making someone feel special when they talk to you. I, I, I hope you understand what I'm saying. I'm not trying to blow your head up or anything like that but you have a gift in making someone feel like uh, very uh, focused on. Does that make sense? Yeah, you blew the hair right off my head with that, bro. <laughs> it is a gift. So for what Thank it's you. worth, you're as good at taking a compliment as I am. I'll put it that <laughs> way. If you know, uh, uh, there we are, audience. You guys are the ones that make the scrap special to me and make it make it worth it. The questions... Uh, it's awesome. So thank you, man. You uh, Thank you for tuning in live. I love each and every one of you. Remember, mutts don't scrap. I hope the tone stays silent unless it is burning. Everybody stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.